Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream And you can Hot folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough... Or even if they don't dictate it, it's almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. And uh, it's been an eventful week so far. It's only Tuesday. I got a call this morning from uh, an admin that works for Trudy Daniels, who's with the Mike in the Morning show out of Detroit. It's a pretty big uh, morning radio show up there in the uh, middle northern part of the state. Uh, country, and uh, looks like they're going to be calling me in a while. I'm going to be doing an interview with Trudy that will be on the air tomorrow and be part of her podcast, and that was a result of uh, McCarthy syndicating the uh, Fort Worth Star article, so apparently survivalism, at least for a moment has gone mainstream with the media and they're interested in talking to people that are normal people that actually realize that something could go wrong someday and it's up to you to protect yourself so that's positive we'll see how long this little blip in the media will last uh, but uh, let's make the most of it while it does and I, what I would encourage you to do folks uh, I know I've taken some heat because people know that Jack preps now well I think after doing this show for eight nine months people pretty much can make that intellectual leap that I'm a prepper and uh, and all, but uh, some of you guys out there that have blogs and all may be getting some contacts by the media in coming days, and you may want to consider actually talking to them and giving them your side of the story instead around instead of sitting around and bitching that they come out and give the completely wrong side of the story and never tell the truth about us. It doesn't mean you have to know who they are. I know Melody that wrote the article about me talked to a lot of people that wanted to give their first name and kind of their area only, you know, Tom uh, from the Houston area or something like that. So you can do that. Uh, but if you if you hide from the, from the media and you don't, you know, you got to control the situation, you got to make sure that their interest is, you know, in line with what you want to talk about. But if that's the case, you get an opportunity to speak. It's real hard for us to, again, to sit around and bitch. But we're mischaracterized. Look at the guy with the gun in the military suit and crawling around in the jungle and that's not us. Okay, well, we'd like to talk to you. Oh, I, I, I don't talk about it. Okay, well, you know, you get what you ask for, folks. Anyway, moving on from that, uh, let's go ahead and do some uh, house cleaning real quick. Again, I'll be at Dirt Time 09 out in San Bernardino in August, lecturing on survival gardening and survival permaculture, uh, along with uh, 13 other survival experts, including Ron Hood, Alan Holkin, uh, Dude McLean, and a bunch of other great people. It's going to be an awesome workshop. Um, Alan tells me that the spots for it are filling up fast, and they haven't even read the advertisement in the magazine yet. That magazine hasn't gone to print yet. So if you're interested in going in August, I know it sounds like a long way away, but you may want to sign up very, very soon, or the, the spots will fill up. Due to the nature of this, it's an intensive thing where you actually learn how to do these skills hands-on. Uh, they have to limit how many people they can take. Uh, something we have no limits on, come one, come all, Region 5, bug out, camp out, get together down near Goldthwait, Texas. Uh, you can get information on the forum about that as well. I am working on an audio version of Lights Out with David Crawford. You can get a preview of a rough edit of that on the uh, show notes today. 
members support brigade uh, continues to grow, continues to have new content added to it. If you want to show support the show at 25 cents an episode, please consider joining the member support brigade. You'll get content available only to member support brigade members, like the two videos I just uploaded of the, some basics on Russian martial arts. I've gotten great feedback on that. Also, to better serve the member support brigade, there is now a dedicated board at the forum uh, for member support brigade people. Anybody can see it. Anybody can read it. Anybody can comment in it. Nobody is restricted from it. It's just if we're discussing a video or something that's in the MSB that you have never seen, it may not make sense to you. Uh, so we're not trying to hide anything from anybody or you know create an exclusive. I've been asked to set up a forum just for MSB members. I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm very careful I or very uh, concerned. I don't want to limit very much from the general audience. You guys make this show rock. Uh, MSB is just a way to step up and do a little bit more. So that wraps up the house cleaning. Let's get into what today's show is about. And uh, I've also been contacted by uh, Fox and Friends, and I may be on the Fox and Friends show uh, this weekend. And I was asked to put together some bullet points on exactly what makes a person a modern survivalist. What are, like, my talking points, my key points? And I thought, you know what, after I did that, this would make a good show today since I'm so busy. I don't have to do a lot of research with this. So this will be a good show because, one, we're attracting a lot of new listeners. So a lot of people are just going, well, what the heck do I do? Where do I get started? How do I formulate this thing? Some people are going, I'm not even convinced I want to do this yet, but I want to learn more about it and see if any of it makes sense. And you know what? I'll just pick and choose what works for my life. And that's fine. That's great. That's how most people get into this. I guarantee you that nobody does everything. People generally will assess their individual situation, assess their resources, and do the things that make the most sense for them. So even though I'm going to give you 12 in an order that I put them in, they're not in any real specific order. You do this in the order you want, with the exception, I guess, I'd say of point one. I think everybody needs to be working on point one from day one unless you've already done it. Otherwise, you build your own plan off of this, folks. This I keep, you know, sometimes I hear people, you know, negatively commenting about me in blogs or forums or whatnot and saying, like, I dictate to people, you better do this, and I'm right. If you don't follow me, you're crazy. And I don't know who these people are. I don't know what the hell show they're listening to, because my belief is that all I can do is give you information. All I can do is tell you what I've learned, what I know, what I've tried, what's worked for me, what's failed for me. Uh, I can give you the assessment of what's going on in the world. And in the end, you have to take that information and do whatever you think is most right for you with it. And any approach other than that is doomed to failure. You will not follow my plan. Because you're not vested in my plan. My plan is not for you. Your plan is for you. So use these points. Build your own plan. Put them in your own priority order. Number one, though. And I don't think anybody that's listened to this show for any length of time would be surprised to hear me say this. Debt is financial cancer. Get rid of your debt. It is the number one thing that is destroying Americans today is debt. Most of the financial mess that we're in, in spite of the fact that we keep blaming Wall Street, it's Wall Street's fault, it's AIG's fault, it's George Bush's fault, it's Barney Frank's fault, now it's Barack Obama's fault. Okay, all of these people, all of them have made this worse. All of them have contributed to it. But it all really went back to people spending money they didn't have. <clears throat> and odds are, if you're like most Americans, you know, don't be upset about it. You're in good company. You have debt because you bought things that you couldn't afford. And you need to eliminate it. And 
part of being a survivalist, part of this new movement in America is being responsible for yourself and keeping your word and having honor. And you do not have honor when you figure out a way to screw over your creditors and not pay them. You pay off your debt. Now, I know for some people, bankruptcy may be the only option. If that's where you're at, you have no other option, I understand it. It's probably, for most people, the wrong choice, though. It seems like the easy answer. It destroys your life for seven years. If you follow the debt elimination plan that I'm going to give you that takes one minute to explain right now, in the same seven years, instead of finally coming out of a bankruptcy, you can be in really good shape and probably have paid for everything that you've ever purchased, including your home. Believe it or not, no matter what your income level is, no matter where you're at now, this program has been proven to serve people that way if they work it efficiently and they get radical. At the worst-case scenario, it's 10 years. And I'd rather work for 10 years to be debt-free and have my integrity than wait for 10 years to get credit back so I can go in debt again. Just think about it that way. So debt, how do you get rid of it? You take your smallest debt, you take every penny that you can scrape extra, and you cut your expenses to find it. You have garage sales to find it. You eat rice and beans to find it. You do whatever you have to do to find extra money. You pay your smallest debt. You do not care about the interest rate. The interest rate does not matter. If you have one debt that's $1,000 and another debt that's $15,000, you pay the $1,000 debt first. Once that smallest debt is paid off in full, you take all of the money that you had been paying on it and you now apply it to your next debt in size. Again, ignoring the interest rate. You keep doing that. Dave Ramsey marks this program like crazy. He calls it the debt snowball. It absolutely does work. It is that simple. There is no magic tricks. There are no special programs. All of these people on your TV set and your radio telling you, there's special programs the credit card people uh, do not want you to know about are full of shit. That is as blunt as I can be. There are no special programs. There is only paying what you owe. All those programs do is change what you owe to what you owe to somebody else. They screw your credit, they ruin your life, and they make a profit at your expense. They are not doing it to be nice guys. So you take control of your own debt. You got yourself into it, buddy. You get yourself out of it. Next one, plant a garden and permanent crops. I don't think there's a place in America where you can't grow some of your own food. And I don't care if you live in an apartment, get yourself a couple big flower pots, grow you some pepper plants, some lettuce, some onions and radishes on your back deck or something like that. Go down to Home Depot, pick up a little patio peach, start growing a peach tree. One day you'll have a house, take it with you, plant it in the ground when you get there. This is a fundamental that used to be common practice in America. Fifty years ago, there was hardly a home in America that didn't have a little garden patch. And a hundred years ago, every home had some kind of a little garden patch. Even the farmer that grew 40 acres of wheat, even the farmer that grew 40 acres of wheat, also had a little vegetable garden patch as well. That's important for us to understand. And it's important for us to to get on board with that. Folks, I've got the uh, cell phone on loud because there might be some disruptions there. But uh, I'm going to have to take a call if it comes in. So that's why I have it on. That's what that number, that that beeping was. Anyway, so, again, you got to plant a garden. you got to do it. I don't say you got to do it today. But you got to start planning for when you're going to do it, how you're going to do it. Again, if it has to be a container garden, it has to be a container garden. I have lots of shows. Just go to survivalpodcast.com, type gardening into the search box. You'll find tons of shows on how to garden in all various different ways, everything from square foot gardening to conventional gardening to container gardening. Gardening in the winter, gardening in the summer. 
If you can produce your own food, you take control back in your life over a portion of it. You have to understand that the uh, the lettuce bag of lettuce that you buy that comes from Argentina went through multiple systems to get to you, and you are dependent on all of them. It went through an agricultural system in Argentina. It went through a distribution system in Argentina. It went through an international distribution system to get from Argentina to the United States. It then went through our domestic di- distribution uh, channel to get to the store, and that is just the beginning of it for you. You also had to work, so you have a personal economic system that you're dependent upon so that you even have the opportunity to go out and purchase the bag of lettuce. Of course, it had to get here, so you have to have an energy system that produces gas and oil to get it here. You have an energy system that produces refrigeration to keep it cold during transport, and an energy system at the store that keeps it cold until you get there. You have an energy system that keeps the lights on in the store. That is just a scratch of the surface of what it takes to bring a salad from Argentina to your house. And a disruption to any single one of them system, those systems, and it doesn't get to you. When you grow your own food, you go from a 3,000-mile salad to a 30-foot salad. That makes sense. It makes common, rational sense. On top of this, if you plant permanent crops, fruit trees, nut trees, bushes, shrubs, you produce something that will provide food for you for years. You can build a strawberry planter that will provide strawberries for your family for up to 20 years. Strawberries are about $5 a package at the store right now. If you produced, I don't know, out of one strawberry planter, 20 of those a year, that's $100 worth of strawberries. Over 20 years, $2,000 of strawberries. And you know the price is going to go up. These things just make sense. I also want you to think about it this way. How much does your home, your land, produce for you? You see, the reason people came to this country in the first place is because they believed that they would have an opportunity here to own land. It was the most important thing in the world at the time that this nation was settled. And in Europe, in the Far East, everywhere in the civilized world, only the noble could own land, but here the common man could own land. And they didn't want the land so they could plant a lawn and look at it. They wanted the land because they knew what the land could produce for them. Drive through your typical suburban neighborhood, folks. Look around you. You will see thousands and thousands of trees that provide us nothing but shade. And yes, I guess they filter carbon from the atmosphere. That is a good thing. I'm glad that they filter carbon from the atmosphere. Yay. But they do not produce any food. They do not provide for people's sustenance. If we replaced one in ten trees in suburban America today with a fruit tree or a nut tree, an apple, a pecan, a peach, how much food could we produce? How much food could we produce? And yet, you know what we do? We develop develop pear trees that don't grow pears. We develop pistachio trees that don't grow pistachios because we don't want their junk, their litter, which is food laying on our ground. How arrogant has this nation become when we specifically grow trees in a manner in which will not produce food for us? Something you really need to consider doing. I do think everybody needs to be storing food. If you look at storing food and go, I don't have the money, I don't have the time, I don't have the space, and you think storing food means you have to have a year's worth of food, I'm going to tell you start out simple. Try to get to 30 
days worth of food first. And a really good goal after that would be to get to 90 days. I believe that a 30 to 90 day food storage plan will get you through 90% of the emergencies that could come your way. Generally speaking, an individual disaster is most likely like you losing your job. Having 30 days worth of food in the home and not having to grow to the grocery store for 30 days, just from a time and money standpoint, will help you in your quest for a new job. How simple, how basic is that? On the other side of the coin, if we have some sort of a disease pandemic pandemic that I talked about yesterday, having 30 to 90 days worth of food in your home will allow you to stay home and follow the quarantine that will come. It's a pretty simple thing to do. And all you're doing is spending money that you would spend anyway. Remember the motto, store what you eat, eat what you store. Buy two instead of one. Buy four instead of two when you go to the grocery store next week. Of a few select items, put them away. Do it again. Do it again. In three to four months, you'll have 60 days worth of food stored up. It's that simple. It happens without even thinking about it. It's a small, incremental approach. The same way that the ant and the story of the ant and the grasshopper stored up his food for the winter. It's pretty simple. And that way you go in the cabinet, you open up the thing, you're making some, I don't know, we like to make a lot of Tex-Mex stuff down here. You need a can of Rotel tomatoes, you look in there, no Rotel tomatoes. Go upstairs, pull one of your bins out, open it up, pull out your Rotel tomatoes, make a note to buy extra Rotel tomatoes when you go to the store. Buy one for the pantry, buy one for the bin. Replace the one you took out, keep rotating your food that way. Every once in a while, go upstairs, pull a bin out, restock your pantry from the bin, make a list and restock the bin. Again, it's all money you would spend anyway. But you're spending it now while you have it, so that in the future, if you do not have it, or the option to buy the food is not there, you will have something to eat, and you won't have to worry about the old motto of, I need to put food on the table, because you'll have food for the table. How simple is this? The next thing is to understand the probability of disaster order. So that, you know, don't start second-guessing yourself as you start to realize that it's important to do these things and think, oh, man, I don't think any of this stuff is really going to happen. Well, the, the economy's not going to melt down. North Korea's not going to launch a nuclear weapon into our atmosphere and, and shut down our electrical grid. There's not going to be a solar storm. The climate's not going to change. None of these, you know what, a lot of those things, most of those things, all of those things, not that likely. You're talking fractions of a percent of probability. The issue, though, is the impact of them. It might only be a one one-hundredth of a chance that a solar storm will knock out our electrical grid in the next few years. But if it does and you're completely unprepared, you're screwed. But let's think about it a little bit more sanely or logically, depending on how you look at it, and say, well, what are the odds that you might lose your job in the next year? What are the odds that a family member might get killed in the next year? What are the odds that wherever you live you might have a local weather event that does severe damage to your home and forces you out of it in the next year? See, all of these things are a lot more likely to happen to you as an individual, and we do the same things to prep for all of them because of the next point, which is disaster commonality. In other words, if I lose my job, And some of the steps I've taken include storing food, having cash on hand, paying down debt, all right? And now I've lost my job. 
Well, I don't have to go to the grocery store. I can eat my stored food while I look for a new job. I have cash on hand. That means I have money that I normally would not have had because I had to save some extra surplus funds. So I've got cash. That makes me more comfortable. It makes me less likely to do something foolish or get desperate or be under huge amounts of stress because I know not only can I feed my family, I've got some cash laying around. And since I've paid down my debt, all I have to do is focus on, hey, can I scrape enough together to pay the basic bills, to keep the lights on, and keep us in our home until I find another way to start earning income again. In other words, it's a very sane approach to deal with the eventuality of possibly losing your job. Now let's look at it a different way. Let's say that we have a major weather event. Let's say an ice storm. And it knocks out power on a huge scale. And that happened this year. There were people on our forum in Kentucky and people on our forum in northern Arkansas that went over two weeks without power. Two weeks. And uh, let's look at the approach, just those three things. Paying down your debt. Well, you know what? Not having bills to worry about during that period of time is probably quite useful because you're probably going to go out and spend some of that cash that you have on hand to buy some supplies that you're going to need. And you're going to need the cash that you have on hand to buy anything because since the power is out for you, it's probably out at the store. So they're probably not taking credit cards or checks because they can't make sure that you can pay your debt against your check. So the only thing that's going to work in your local economy is cash, if you're in that situation, for any length of time. 48 hours or four weeks, it doesn't matter. You still need that cash. The stored food is pretty obvious in that situation. You don't really need to worry about going out and buying food during that period. You eat from your preps. You have a way to eat. Now, hopefully you've done some other things to have some alternative heating sources during this time and have an alternative way to cook if you don't have power. I would think that, you know, if you're going to do all these other things, you would go down that road too. But it's a pretty simple thing to understand that all of these things that we do, we don't have to worry about, well, I'm prepping for the flu. I'm prepping prepping for the end of the world as we know it. I'm prepping for, you know, it doesn't matter. That just about everything that you do to prep applies to just about any situation that could go on because what you're really preparing for is to deal without systems of support and you're preparing to be in a situation where you really have to either have some of the things that make your life comfortable and enjoyable or not. You know, it's survivalism is not just about will you live? It's how are you going to live? What is going to be your quality of life? For most people, if the power goes out of their home, they're going to live, especially if it's a week. Even if they're very, very cold, they'll bundle up, they'll figure it out. At least they have a structure over their head. They're probably not going to die. But the guy that has a nice, uh, huge pile of uh, well-seasoned wood, a fireplace or a wood burner, and has the ability to heat his home, a good supply of food and a backup generator is going to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. I hope that makes sense. Um, the next thing on this, uh, hold on folks, i got to deal with some traffic here. The Hazards of On-The-Road Podcasting. The next thing I think that you should make sure you do is have a bug-out bag for every member of the family, for your wife and your kids and you, or your husband and your kids and you, if you're the female prepper. And there are female preppers out there that are trying to drag their male spouses along. There's more of them than you might think. And uh, here's what you do. First, you build your own bug-out bag. Then you talk to your spouse and your kids about putting one together. Your kids, if they're boys especially, will probably jump right on board and be happy to partake in it. 
If your spouse isn't interested, build one that looks just like yours and put it in her car or truck or put it in his car or truck and say, you know what, humor me, leave it there. You might need it. Uh, a bug-out bag is what's called a 72-hour kit. It's designed to give you everything that you need to survive for at least three days without support from anybody else. So it's three days' worth of food and various other supplies. There's a lot of information on the forum about putting one together. This is something you're not going to have any trouble finding information on. Uh, so I won't go deeply into what goes into a bug-out bag. I've done entire shows. Search for bug-out bag at the survivalpodcast.com. You'll get an entire show on putting a bug-out bag together. But the big thing is making sure that you have a bug-out bag for everybody. And I would say if you keep dogs and cats, you probably want to put together a pet's bug-out bag as well. At least one to keep at the house. You're probably going to have to go home and get the animals. So no reason to drag it around in the car with you unless you're traveling with them. But you know, in a disaster situation, it's heartbreaking to leave a pet behind. A lot of people with Hurricane Katrina were faced with that, and uh, many of them were forced into it because when authorities came to get people, they said, you can't bring your animals with you. That's part of why we're saying take control of your own life. Part of that is having a kid to sustain yourself and sustain your animals until you can get somewhere. The important thing to understand about a bug-out kit or a bug-out bag or a 72-hour kit, it's exactly what it said. I said the last one. It's a 72-hour kit. It's three days. Now some people build more extensive ones. It'll go four days or five days. Not a bad idea. Once you get your 72 hours put together, you want to extend it. It's pretty much adding some more food and more convenience items and some more water. That's pretty much all you got to do to extend it. But there's a limit to how much you can carry. A bug out bag is not for these tactical militia types to put on their back and run out in the woods and start fighting some kind of, you know, World War Three or something. It's not for that. It's not what it's going to do and you're not going to be able to go live off the land with it. It's designed to get from you from a point of danger to a point of safety and provide for your individual needs while you're doing that. So think about that when you build it. But you do need to have a 72-hour kit for every member of the family, including kids. And you can usually build kids kind of a scaled-down one, carry a bit of their food for for them in theirs, but you can usually put them in like a scaled-down backpack. And if they, it's necessary, kids can carry their own. And I've even seen kind of doggy backpacks where dogs could carry some of their own stuff. And uh, that may make a lot of sense. You never know what situation that you're going to be in. Uh, the next thing you need to do is you need to develop a bug-in and a bug-out plan for the family. You need to have an evacuation route plan. I've done entire shows on this as well. How are you going to get wherever you're going to go? Where are you going to go? If you have to leave your home, if a guy shows up at your house from the police or the military and says there's an imminent threat, you got to get out of here. you got to get out of here now. What are you going to say, no? They're not doing it to be jerks. They're doing it because your life is in danger. You're going to keep your family in danger? If you're told to get out, odds are you need to get out. The difference for us, for most of America, is that we know what the hell we're going to do. We know where the hell we're going to go. We know how the hell we're going to get there. That's a pretty basic thing to put into place as a plan. The primary place we would go, our main bug out location is up in Arkansas, unless it was some kind of, I I can't see what would would prevent us from going there in most situations. We do have alternate places we would go if we had to. Maybe something that wiped out, you know, some terrorist bombing, uh, nuclear bomb that that happened in uh, Dallas and the the radioactive waste was drifting east. I mean, but that's that's the extreme probability, right? That's that's out there on the, you know, the, the huge unlikely scale. So in most events, we would go to our place in Arkansas if we had to leave our place here. 
If it was going to be a day or something, like there's a chemical leak or something, we're going to put it back together, we go stay with a relative that's rather close by and keep living our lives like normal people. Right? But one way or another, we know what to do, we know where to go, and we know how to get there. Likewise, if we're forced to bug in, we know what to do to bug in, which is pretty much staying put. And that would be if we're locked down for a quarantine or something like that. Or just if there's some localized rioting going on. It looks like it's going to be contained. We'll just wait. Wait it out. If it doesn't look like it's going to be contained, we're going to get the hell out. Either way, we have a plan in place for what to do. How we're going to handle our rationing of our foods. This is very military, but yet it's not this psycho stuff with you know running around with guns in the woods again or in a bunker. It's a basic plan, an evacuation plan, and a stay-in-place plan. And our own government, CDC... Uh, FEMA, all of these these websites, you go to these government websites, they say this is one of the things that you need to be doing. And just nobody listens, nobody pays attention, because it's not comfortable to look into these situations and go, yeah, you know, we might have to deal with this someday. Um, the next thing I think you might want to consider doing along the lines of planning your, uh, your, uh, your evacuation is consider setting up a bug out location, a place that you own, a remote place that you can go to if you had to, out of the city. This is probably one of the last steps for a lot of people. It definitely comes after you eliminate debt. But it can be simple. It can be, you know, an acre of land somewhere out in the sticks and a travel trailer. And I've seen people put together places like that for under $5,000. I posted a link to uh, a little place my buddy Hal Dodd put together for $2,700 down on Lake Brownwood. And uh, is it an ideal bug out location way out in the middle of nowhere where no one would ever come find you in a gated community? No. But you know what? If there's any kind of major civil unrest going on, it ain't going to be going on down there because the people that live down there ain't going to stand for it. And the people that live down there are spread out and are self-sufficient. Most of the people down in that area are living in mobile homes or trailers. Most of them have some level of solar power. So they they are not 100% dependent on the grid. They have generators. uh, They have septic systems. So they're pretty self-sufficient in that little area. And for $2,700, he's got himself a pretty nice little place to go if he had to. So it doesn't have to be elaborate. Again, I would probably want a little bit more than he's got, but he's got some, and most people have nothing. And I want you to look at this from what if nothing ever happens. Well, great, you have a nice little piece of investment property. There's a lot of cheap property out there right now. There's a lot of good deals out there right now. People are hurting for money. I said back earlier this year, before everything got really bad, the one upside is if you take care of yourself now, if you secure your money now, you can go back and find episodes. I said this over and over again. The whole world is about to go on sale. Those of you who have been with me from the beginning will remember me saying that. The entire world is about to go on sale. Well, it's on sale now, folks. So it might be a good time to look at picking up a little remote piece of land somewhere and starting to stock it up and get it ready to be a place that you could go and live for 30 or 60 days if you had to. The next thing is, you know, don't put 100% of your money in stock ever. You should never have 100% of your money in stock, your investments, your savings, what have you. Never, never, never 100%. It is asinine. It is exposing everything you own to risk. No rich person, no wealthy person puts 100% of their money in the stock market at any one time. Ever. Even in the best of times, let alone the worst of times. They always allocate and create diversity. And diversity means holding some portion in cash. 
or some portion in gold or silver. And I'm not saying go out and buy, take all your money and put it in gold and hide it under your house. It's nonsense. But having 5% of your portfolio in gold or silver doesn't hurt anything. Having it in tangible gold or silver you can put your hands on somewhere outside of the financial institutions, that doesn't hurt anything either. There's nothing crazy about there. There's nothing insane. Another thing, though, is you do not keep 100% of your money, even if it's cash, in your 401k IRA type accounts that are deferred until retirement. Because simply put, what if you need it? Financial advisor after financial advisor will tell you, maximize your contributions to your 401k because it's tax deductible. And you get an immediate return on your investment. It's sort of true. But you know what? What is that return on your investment? What happens to that return of your investment when you end up putting yourself $20,000 in a credit card debt because you couldn't get your money out of there? You were smart enough not to borrow it for yourself and pay interest and penalties on it because you knew you were never going to be able to pay it back in the 90 days you get to pay yourself back in those accounts. You have to think about this. So how do I allocate this? I'll tell you what. If you are putting, let's say, the typical 10% of your income into retirement, I think 5% of it should go into non-tax-deferred status. In other words, you put it in. I don't care if it's in bonds. I don't care if it's in stock. I don't care if it's in cash. I don't care if it's in gold. But you hold it outside of one of those investment vehicles, and you take the other 5% and you put it in tax-deferred status. When we when you put your money into one vehicle, even with different investments inside of it, again, you're exposing everything you have, your entire retirement, your entire nest egg, to one type of risk. Why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense. It's absolutely foolish. And people are hurting right now because of it. If you've taken this approach in the past, some of that money that's sitting there in that 401k that you're thinking about cashing in and paying interest and penalties on, you wouldn't have to cash it in and pay an interest and penalties on it. You would already have it. And if you didn't put it 100% into mutual funds that are in the stock market, because that's what every expert says you're supposed to do, you wouldn't have lost 50 to 60% of its value between August and today. These are simple fundamentals. And back in August, I said, get your money out. Get it all out. But even if you didn't do it, as long as you followed the simple advice of never put 100% there, at least some portion of your investment is hedged. You have to start increasing your financial vocabulary. Survivalism is about having money, too. It's not about living in the woods off the land. That's a last-case resort. It's not our first choice. Our first choice is to live normal lives like everybody else and hope nothing goes wrong and put ourselves in the most stable situation we can to live a better life. The next thing I would say is, uh, you know what? Learn to defend yourself and your family. If you live in a state that allows concealed carry, go get a concealed carry permit. Take training. Learn how to use a gun properly and safely. Carry pepper spray on your person. I do. Even if I'm carrying a gun, I still carry pepper spray because it gives me a less than lethal option. Police do it. Think about this. How many people out there have a concealed carry permit, but they don't carry a less lethal option as well? You know, And I think pepper spray is one of the best ones because it works on people and it works on animals. Every cop that's out there is carrying a taser, a billy club, pepper spray of some sort, and a gun. And the gun is the last thing that he would use. Now, you can't walk around with a cop belt on you with cuffs and all this stuff. You'll look like an idiot. But pepper spray can be in a little tiny container on your keychain. I've used it to fend off a dog before that I thought was going to tear my wife and I apart. My other option would have been to shoot the dog. 
it was a neighbor's dog in my rural location. I really want to be on good standing with the people that live in my area up there. Shooting their dog is not a way to do that. Dog that tries to bite you and gets a little bit of pepper spray in the eyes and runs off, hey, you know what? No real harm, no real foul. He should have controlled his dog. That I can have a conversation with my neighbor about and explain why I had to do it and how I feel bad about it. And please, would you consider putting a little bit more control on your dog? But if I shot his dog and I have to go down to his house with this dog in the back of my truck and go, here's your dog. He tried to bite me. I shot it. Not a real good idea. And that's just a dog. When human life's at stake, you need to have other options. Learn how to physically defend yourself and have a, a, what we call situational awareness. A lot of people really struggle with this. Just pay attention to your surroundings. Know if there's danger, and if there's danger, avoid it. Survivalism is not about being big and macho. It's about surviving to the next day to take care of yourself and to take care of the people that love you and care about you and you provide for. You don't do that by looking for a fight. You do it by avoiding a fight, and you do it by if a fight must happen, you bring overwhelming force to the fight. Learn those techniques. I believe that every American should own a gun after you're trained how to use it. Find a mentor that knows how to train you properly, and if you do not have a personal mentor in your life that can teach you proper handling of firearms, go pay for the instruction and learn it. Do not become a statistic. Do not give ammunition to the people that want to take away the Second Amendment and our right to keep and bear arms by doing something freaking stupid. Be responsible for yourself. But absolutely, you must be able to defend your family. Everything that you do should be based on improving your life. To live a better life even if nothing ever goes wrong. What I mean by that is when you put a garden in your home, you increase the value of your home, and you increase the health of your family, and you increase your financial stability, and you decrease your expenses. That's if nothing goes wrong. When you pay off your debt, your life gets better in every aspect. There is no person that's debt-free that regrets it, and there are plenty of people in debt that do regret it. In fact, most of them do. Whenever they pull a bill out, they really think about how long it's going to take to pay the bill back. So you have to start with that debt elimination. It's one of the most important things that you can do. Uh, but it will improve your life. And everything that we're talking about today makes your life better, even if nothing goes wrong. You have to put that mentality into your planning. When you start thinking, do I do this or don't I do this? Ask yourself a simple question. Even if nothing goes wrong, am I better off because I've done this from a lower stress level, from a more sustainability level, from a lower expense level. When the answer is yes, you figure out how to get it done. When the answer is no, really think about what your motivation is. This common sense that your grandparents would have told you on a daily basis. And then, above all, my final thought of the day is remember always that what you do matters. What you do and how you act and how you react are the most important things in any survival situation. It is the number one rule of people that survive. They understood that what they did mattered. People that were stuck in New Orleans during Katrina that made it out without becoming complete victims understood that what they do matters. And the woman diagnosed with breast cancer that survives that more often than not was a person that no matter what the doctor told her understood that what she did, how she thought, how she acted mattered. It's that universal. From, you know, something is, is horrific for 
thousands and thousands of people as a Hurricane Katrina to something as personal as an individual disease diagnosis and anywhere you want to go on the spectrum in between or beyond either one of those. The commonality that makes people survive is that personal belief that I can affect my own situation. The people that crawl to a roof and wait for help, they never fare well. But the people that take responsibility always do the best when it comes time to rebuild. They get back on their feet faster, and they do not let things happen to those around them without intervening. These 12 things are what defines the modern survivalist today. I have been talking a lot to the media lately, and they're not understanding these things. I'm trying to help them understand and tell this truth to the common man in America that's forgotten the wisdom of his grandfather from just 30 or 40 years ago. It's forgotten the wisdom of a grandmother who, if in 1955, if your grandmother would have got a platinum pre-approved card from MasterCard that said, you, Grandma Moses, have been you know, pre-approved for... $25,000 of credit. She would have laughed. She would have shown it through her friends and insulted the company for being stupid enough to give her $25,000 of credit. Then she would have cut it up and threw it on the compost pile and let the worms dismantle it. And if somebody would have said to her, what do you think of this company? She would have said, they are fools. They are giving money to people that should not have it. Debt will kill you and enslave you if you let it. And you know what? Your grandmother was a hell of a lot smarter than the people running Wall Street today or running our government today. Her wisdom, your grandfather's wisdom, probably your father's and your mother's wisdom, definitely your great-grandparents' wisdom. It's still there, it still makes sense, and it still works. And all you have to do is grab onto it, make it your own, and follow it. And if you do that, you'll improve your situation. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream, and you can holler, it really doesn't matter. Spend